we read responsively from 145, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Our Old Testament reading is taken from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace. To the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is the word of the Lord. And our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the Holy Gospel. Our gospel is taken today from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, good morning again. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are at the middle mark in this message series on the Ten Commandments. Today we're looking at the Fifth Commandment, not Beethoven's Fifth. Uh, Let's read this commandment out loud together. You shall not murder. Just Four simple words in English, only two words in Hebrew. Uh, So what is murder? We're going to be talking about that. But first, let's talk about what it's not. Um, It is not the killing of animals. Um, In Genesis, God gave mankind dominion over his creation, um, including animals. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. So it's not what God has in mind when he says, you shall not murder. Sometimes we simplify the commandment for kids and we say, thou shalt not kill. But there is a distinction, and that's why we use the word murder instead of killing. Uh, Another thing that is not in view are just wars and capital punishment. Um, This is actually from Romans 13. It says Matthew 5 on the bottom. Uh, But Romans 13 tells us that rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Um, The government is actually an agent of the Lord carrying out justice on his behalf. So that's not in mind with this commandment. So what is murder? Well, if you want a legal de- definition, you can go to California Penal, penal Code, excuse me, 187. Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice and forethought. And uh, that's the taking of someone's life illegally. Not only applies to homicide, but it also applies to suicide and assisted suicide, euthanasia in most states. California's Penal Code 401 says any person who deliberately aids, advises, or encourages another to commit suicide is guilty of a felony. Now, there are some nuances in both of these penal codes that allow for abortions to be considered legal and physicians to prescribe lethal drugs, but regardless of any nuanced legal status in our state or in our nation, all of these, homicide, suicide, assisted suicide, abortion, 
are considered wrongful death according to the Bible. Uh, further, in all of these fifth commandment violations, and I mentioned this uh, at the beginning of the, of the series, um, well, I guess I wasn't here for that exactly. For the first commandment, I was out in um, Escondido, but uh, all of the commandments at some point or another tie back to the first commandment. And in this particular case of the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, it actually ties back to the first commandment as well because people are doing something that God reserves for himself alone. The Lord says in Deuteronomy, I put to death and I bring to life. This is God's responsibility. This is only God can do. Uh, you might be thinking, well, I, I mentioned this at the beginning. We could skip this commandment because I haven't done any of those. But be careful if you measure the commandment or really any of God's laws against the letter of the law. That's what the Pharisees did. They were very concerned with obeying the external requirements of the law. They followed it in a very legalistic, very wooden, very joyless way. They, they did not really consider very much about God's loving intent behind the law. They were only interested in scoring points by which they could justify themselves and therefore in their own eyes. But as Jesus often did when he talked about God's law, he goes much deeper than any surface uh, sin. And in today's gospel, as part of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. I'm using a slightly different uh, translation or version of the English Bible here. Um, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is Jesus. He's saying that in God's kingdom, not only is it against the law to murder, he says, you know this commandment, but I say to you, as he always does, he goes farther. He says, not only is it against the law to murder, but it's against God's law to harbor anger against someone. Uh, so now we have more to talk about, right? Unresolved anger itself is a punishable sin. Jesus is saying, yeah, you know about murder, but I want you to consider anger. Is it not the root of murder? When we, when we saw that California Penal Code a little bit earlier, it talks about malice, a forethought, malice, malintent. It, it, even the legal definition of murder assumes anger and malice. Now, is anger itself sinful? Not necessarily. Anger is an emotion. Uh, it happens. The fact that we get angry isn't the issue. It's what we do with that anger. And it's what's behind that anger. Is the anger driven by selfishness, by pride, by desire to control? Then that anger is rooted in sin. There is something called righteous anger, which would be anger for the right reasons. We see passages in the Bible where Jesus himself was angry when he's here uh, depicted uh, clearing out the temple. Um, he was very angry because his father's house was being desecrated. He was angry at other times because man-made laws were obscuring God's grace. And so on and on it goes. Uh, anger under the right circumstances can be good because the anger would do good. In that case, the anger itself is not sinful. So we need to be careful about what's driving our anger and what we do with that anger when it arises. But if we allow that anger to fester, become unresolved, to boil, it can drive us to do things that we previously thought were unthinkable. I had a seminary professor 
um, who said that any one of us is capable of any sin under the right circumstances. And I can still remember when he said that, I, I, was, I bristled at the thought. It just sounded so terrible that any one of us is capable of any sin under the right circumstances. And I didn't like it when he said it, but I've thought about it more and more, and I, I think I agree with him. Take note sometime how in a fit of anger you say and do things to hurt even people that you love dearly. And I think what happens is we grow spiritually and we mature spiritually. We learn to recognize more quickly what's behind our anger and we learn how to uh, diffuse our anger sooner. Uh, more on that in a minute. We'll get to how to diffuse our anger. Point is, anger itself isn't a sin, but unresolved anger is sinful because it leads to sinful actions. That's why we see uh, Jesus gives us some specific examples going back to that gospel reading. He says anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, um, these, uh, what's, what's behind that, Raka means something like empty head, so you could say maybe something like idiot. Um, it's not a nice word, and actually in the, the English Standard Version that we read today, it just says anyone who insults his brother. That's basically what that is. Um, and what's behind the you fool uh, is in Greek the word moros, which we get our word moron from. Um, these are not nice names. It's even mildly offensive as I'm saying them to you here in an instructive way. Um, but Jesus is showing us that uh, with, with just a couple examples how anger can lead to sinful behavior. And you might think, well, uh, name-calling is the least of my sins. Well, that just goes to show you how high God's standard, even for this commandment is, how high his standard is above ours, how simple his love exceeds ours even to this extent. So something even so seemingly insignificant as name-calling, God takes very serious, even to the point of saying you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. So my question for you is, why? Why is this so serious to God? It's just words, right? It's not like murder. And yet I would just ask you to think back to your childhood and think of how many physical scars from your childhood. And I'm talking about things like falling off the bike, falling off the monkey bars, falling off those spinny things when they were still legal, um, all the fun toys. Uh, think of when you got physical scars um, and they've healed. They've healed over and you completely forgot about them. But then think about some angry words or mean names that you recall or things that were said to you years and years ago, and they still cause you pain today, right? There's no such thing as just words. And Jesus is pointing this out. And I think the reason Jesus uh, and, and God is really teaching us that this is such a serious sin is because when we're angry like that, we're losing sight of the fact that the person that we're treating like that is a person that God loves person for whom our Savior died, whether they know it or not, whether they're behaving like it or not, we're not supposed to treat people who God loves, not supposed to treat them that way. So therefore, God wants us to root out the very cause of anger before it grows into something worse. Apostle Paul said, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger can become sinful if you let it grow after the sun goes down. The devil gains a foothold. A few verses later, Paul says, get rid of all. He gives us some examples here. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. You don't get to keep any of it. If you've been harboring something against someone, 
You've got to let it go. All of it. Every form of balance. And he gives even a little list of different ways um, that this anger or malice can take shape in his letter to the Colossians. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. None of this is appropriate for God's people. Our language, our emotions, our anger, it all shows that in our heart, we have a heart that is capable of murder. That's what's behind all this. So I'm going to be talking for the remainder of our time about some practical advice about anger, but we need to keep in our mind that the reason we're talking about anger today is because Jesus knows it's at the root of this fifth commandment. What God really lovingly wants for us, and I think Rachel uh, shared with the kids very well, is he wants us to have a healthy, safe uh, life with the people that he's put around us. So let's talk about some practical advice about anger, and I need a disclaimer here. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a licensed therapist. Um, these are just some practical things I've learned about in my life, trying not to sin when I'm angry. Yes, I do get angry, sometimes more than I should, uh, but through experience and letting God's word speak in my life, I find these things to be true, so I'm sharing them with you. First is, anger is an alarm, uh, just like the check engine light in your car. You feel anger. Uh, the first thing you should be asking yourself is, what's setting off the alarm? Usually it's something like loss of control, selfishness, pride, fear. All these things need to be dealt with at their root. Just like you don't beat up the light, the check engine light on your car to fix the problem. You have to figure out what's the problem. Anger tells you. You have to figure out what's really the root of the problem. The next is you don't let anger act. Again, remember, having the emotion isn't the issue. It's what you do with it. In the heat of the moment, if you act on that emotion, someone's going to get hurt. And I think you might have experienced this in your own life, right? Uh, you've done or said something in anger that you later regretted. When you were thinking more clearly, you realized you overreacted. So you have to train yourself. It's kind of like when you do those emergency drills in school. What am I going to do when there's a problem? You don't wait until you're in the heat of the crisis to come up with a plan. You think about it ahead of time. So this is us teaching ourselves ahead of time. When I become angry, I'm going to go into this, this mode of not reacting right away. It can be as simple as, for me, I've told myself, if I feel myself being angry, I will not respond to that email. Have you had this happen to you? You read an email, there's something about text. It will allow you to import any emotion on what that person is sending. You, you can totally make it up and you can read it in those words and they may not have intended it in all, at all. If I feel myself being angry, I just will not respond at that moment. That email can wait till later. And usually, and I, I really would say, always when I've done that and I've waited to write it. I never write what I originally thought I was going to write. And in my mind, I was so convinced needed to be said. So you just commit yourself to not let anger act. This patience is really this self-control. These are fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Okay? That's a, another tip. Um, way before we get to anything like murder, it starts with anger. The first thing is wait, breathe, and cool down. Uh, when you're angry, it's actually more likely that you're not going to think and act rationally. You're going to be on the defensive, and you're going to act in a reactionary way. Um, when I'm counseling couples who are going to be married, uh, I tell them, you know, this is me giving you permission, and you're agreeing right now to each other that at any time, either one of you can call a timeout. Maybe you've been in an argument uh, with a spouse or a family member, and you realize that either you are not at a point where you can talk about this rationally or they are not at a point where you think they can talk about this rationally. 
we give each other permission to say, let's take some time. This is just physiology. You just need to cool down. Now you do need to be fair, and you need to just take some time and get back to the problem, not just sweep it under the rug. But give yourself some time. Uh, anger passes. Time lets your emotions cool down. It never feels that way at the time. It never feels like the anger will pass, but it does. So you have to train yourself to take a time out and not uh, let the anger deepen. And I would say the deeper the anger, the deeper the hurt, the longer it takes. But let the emotion of anger dissipate, dissipate so you can think about the situation and respond more objectively. That's especially important, I think, at home, at work, in marriage. Um, it's also a great parenting tip. Um, because nothing happens when either person is angry. And I don't know how many of you, I, I see some little kids out there and some teenagers. Um, we, have, we have four kids, um, but one of our kids, who I will not name, but there's always one, uh, who was able to uh, push my buttons like nobody else. I don't know how, he just came, oh, I said he, so you know it's one of the boys. Uh, uh, he just came out able to bother me, I would find myself getting so frustrated and angry with him that I saw behavior in myself coming out that I didn't even think, you know, levels of anger and, and irrationality that I didn't even think were possible. Um, so what, I, what we ended up doing was coming up with a couple of rules. The first was what I called the parental prerogative, which means that if at any point in time I say the conversation is done, it's done. And I'll tell you that was probably harder for me because once I would get him to cool down and just stop the discussion, it was really easy to use that silence to get in one more parental comment, but uh, that wasn't fair, so that was, that was challenging. And the second is we just picked an arbitrary time and we said we could pick it back up at 8 o'clock. Uh, so what, what we were doing was exactly this. We were given some time to cool down, and it became a, a thing in our family. Actually, we ended up using it throughout our whole household whenever the discussion got too, too raucous someone could just say, let's talk about it at 8 o'clock. And that was clue for us all to realize we've gotten a little out of control here. And uh, as I said, there's some pretty funny stories about it. Usually what would happen is 8 o'clock would roll around and nobody would care about it anymore. I think that happens so much with the things we get upset about. But often 8 o'clock would roll around, but we could talk about it much more rationally. So I share that with you. If you have someone that just uh, is really bothering you, you can just say, let's talk about it at 8 o'clock or you pick a time. All right. Uh, cover it with grace. Um, if you're married, you've likely discovered that just like opposites attract, it means that in many ways your, your spouse is wired to drive you crazy. <laughs> um, they just, there's something about their behavior that first attracted you, it now annoys you. And uh, um, I'm not, yeah, I've got my wife here this week. This month. Present company excluded, of course, both directions, right? The, this, this idea of covering with grace is simply saying, is this something that I can just let go? Something that I can just let grace and love overlook? Now, depending on which culture and kind of family environment you were brought up in, sometimes overlooking an offense is considered a greater sin. But I would, I would submit to you that there's often so many, so many things. You've probably um, heard the saying, don't sweat the small stuff, and then the corollary, it's all small stuff. Um, can I, do I really want to let this thing bring down our relationship, or can we just cover it over with grace? Just continue to love and let it go. That's something, I heard one pastor call this the uh, grace box. You can just imagine just putting it in the grace box, closing the lid, and just letting grace cover it over. Think of how our Lord did that with us.
Sometimes the offense does bother you to the point where it needs to be discussed, and that's where this next one is important. Keep a short list of offenses. In other words, you've tried, you've tried, you, you've thought about just letting it be covered with grace, but you realize, no, if I don't, if we don't discuss this, it's going to fester, and then we're going to have that unresolved anger, which is the root of this commandment, right? We want to avoid any unresolved anger that we're harboring. And so actually this uh, love uh, scripture that we, we love to have at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, tells us love is patient and kind, it doesn't envy, but down at the end it says it keeps no record of wrongs. So when you get to the point where you've been wronged and it needs to be discussed, settle the matter quickly. Uh, don't attack. Um, get to the point without judgment. That means use more I statements than you statements. Talk about it from your perspective rather than bringing judgment on the other person. Speak that truth in love and prayerfully the situation can be resolved. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding or maybe, maybe it needs forgiveness. And I would say in dealing with anger, the last point is no matter what, forgive. And again, back to when I talk to couples who are going to be married, it's really just relationship skills that I try to give them ahead of time. One is I tell them that there is no shortcut for this phrase. I am sorry, please forgive me. There's no sh shortcut for that. And it's not just for couples who are going to be married. This is for any, any relationship. You can try to use other words, but I'm telling you there is no shortcut for that expression, almost verbatim. I am sorry, please forgive me. And then the other phrase that there's no shortcut for is I forgive you. Because if you find yourself saying something like this, I am sorry, but then you're not asking for forgiveness. You're trying to defend yourself. Or if someone asks you for forgiveness and you say, oh, that's okay. It doesn't matter. Then you're not granting forgiveness. You're sweeping the offense under the rug where it can likely build resentment and become unresolved anger. There's no shortcut for I am sorry, please forgive me, and I forgive and this is the most powerful tool that God not only gives to couples, but gives to human beings. This, this forgiveness is the, is the power that God used to set the universe aright by bringing his son into the world. It was all about forgiveness. And the beautiful thing is, the same tool that he used to set the universe right, he gives to us to set our relationships right. So I am saying, use that rather than anger, if it comes, if all this other stuff, if it gets down to it, we forgive. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not something you do after the other person apologizes. In your heart, you forgive the other person because sometimes that other person won't repent. Sometimes they might not receive your forgiveness. Sometimes they won't even acknowledge their sin that they've hurt you. Forgive anyway for your sake. Otherwise, you will develop resentment and unresolved anger and the only one you're hurting is yourself and the other people that now have to encounter your now hardened heart so forgive no matter what and you might be thinking well it's easier said than done well who said that forgiveness would be easy remember forgiveness cost god the life of his only son on the cross uh, forgiving us caused jesus to give up his exalted place in heaven to come down to earth to live among those who would kill him. So before we move toward God, he moved toward us. 
because he knew that forgiveness isn't easy, but it is always necessary. It's not always easy, but it's always necessary for peace and for healing and bringing us to where we really want to be, and that's reconciliation, right? That's what's behind this fifth commandment, that we have relationships of love, healthy relationships of mutual respect. So we talked about, in the beginning we talked about murder, and Jesus shows us that murder begins in the heart with anger, the anger that wants that other person gone. The opposite of anger is love, and the opposite of murder is reconciliation. Jesus teaches us in the gospel, therefore, a little later after today's gospel, he says, if, if uh, you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Notice Jesus is talking to the guilty party here, the one who's done the wrong, the one who has offended. If your brother has something against you, he's saying to the guilty party, you take the initiative and resolve the conflict. Don't even stop to worship God, he says. When you know that your sin has caused a brother or sister to be angry, seek them out, apologize, ask for their forgiveness, and then be reconciled. And if you're the one who's been offended, uh, you also have something to do. Now, not right here, but further down in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Forgiveness and reconciliation is what God wants, and it's the responsibility of both parties. That's why Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Because if you continue to hold that unresolved anger in your heart, that, that stuff, it festers. It doesn't get better, it gets bigger. You remember that? If you don't deal with that unresolved anger, it doesn't get better, it gets bigger. God says, forgive, and where possible, be reconciled. And real healing can only happen by the power of the cross, and that is forgiveness. The forgiveness that we first received from God and now we have to share. So I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. I don't know if it's something that you did that you can't let go of. I don't know if it's something that somebody did to you that you can't let go of. I don't know if you're angry with God, but I have an important question for you, and that is, Aren't you getting tired of carrying it? If you finally want to lay that down, then you need to take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and let him free you of it. It's the only way. And if you need help with that because you've tried and it's not happening, well, I encourage you to talk to your pastors, talk to your counselors. There are folks who are trained in helping you get past that hurt before it becomes unresolved and leads to something worse. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you put boundaries on our lives. Thank you for using your law, not only to curb our bad behavior, but to guide us toward that which is good and pleasing in your sight. Lord, help us to curb our anger before it causes us to sin. Show us where we have anger and resentment in our hearts and help us release that to you. And Lord, when we've offended others, help us to seek their forgiveness. And when we've been hurt by others, help us to forgive. Maybe be more like you and find peace, joy, and love in our relationships. In your name that we pray. Amen. I invite you now to stand as we